You're listening to Video Monsters, a weekly podcast. Uh, well, uh, mostly weekly. Sometimes more, sometimes less. <sighs> All right, fine. A mostly weekly podcast of Creatures Talking Features with your hosts, Nathan Simmons and Eric Harris. Video Monsters is brought to you by the Chattanooga Film Festival and Central Cinema in Knoxville, Tennessee. Follow them on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram, or online at chatfilmfest.org and centralcinema865.com. And links for each of these can also be found on our pages, so be sure to follow us at Video Monster Pod on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram as well. Hello and welcome to another episode of Video Monsters, where we take movies seriously, just not ourselves. I'm Nathan. And I'm Eric. And now that April is, you know, over, we're finally continuing on with our April series because, you know, that's what we do. We, we let life get in the way of our podcast. And, uh, you know, I, I've discovered, <clears throat> or not discovered, I was thinking about the fact that whenever we reveal, like, man, this is what we're going to do and, like, really play up what our next episodes are going to be that's when life says nah fuck y'all that's not what's gonna happen and like th- those are the times that we are the most delayed in our episodes yeah so we gotta stop calling our shots so early yeah but you know i i, I never want to miss my shot right is that is that the, the, the thing from hamilton oh you mean you're not throwing away your shot yeah that thing nathan <laughs> oh my god you just so you did that was so bad you absolutely butchered that i don't know what you're talking about ah uh, <laughs> that's okay it, I'm, it's okay i'm i'm young scrapless and, and hangry right is that the yes that's I, you got that one you you nailed that one. <laughs> oh but you know what nathan it feels pretty <clears> appropriate <throat> that this is the movie we're talking about um for our April coverage now in May, um, because April, you only thought it was dead and buried, but it <laughs> has now been resurrected. Ha. See, because the movie that we're covering tonight is Dead and Buried, which, you know, you, you saw the episode title when you clicked on it. So, you know what movie we're covering. What if I wonder, wouldn't it be cool if you could do like a like a podcast roulette where you just like hit a shuffle button and it just randomly picks a podcast for you and you don't actually know what you're going to listen to until you hear it? Yeah, but like unless someone did that and then immediately put their phone down, then they're probably going to see like the name that that's playing anyways. No. Yeah. No. Anybody who's done podcast roulette is going to like cl- cover their eyes. <laughs> And maybe, maybe they might peek through their fingers a little bit, but they're not going to see the whole title. Sure, sure. <clears throat> Anywho, we're covering Dead and Buried uh, because we are continuing our Easter coverage into May, apparently, uh, where we are. We may be doing that. We ha. I see what you did there because, you know, <clears throat> you used May as both a hypothetical as well as a name of the month. Maybe. Because, you know, it, it's going to be me. We really need to move on. This is terrible podcasting that we are fully aware of. So, yes, we're continuing our April coverage, our Easter coverage. Uh, 
our first episode, we're talking about uh, Easter and the history of the um, of the holiday, how it started out as a pagan fertility festival and then was appropriated by Christians, uh, which represented uh, the death of Christ and new life, and then how that got bastardized into the more modern just commercialization of it, where everything is just about Easter baskets and uh, you know the, the Easter bunny and mascots and toys and all that stuff. But we're doing it in typical video monster style where the pagan fertility festival is covered by shivers. The uh, <laughs> the death and resurrection is covered through dead and buried. Uh, our Easter baskets are going to be filled with basket case. And then the Easter bunny is going to be delivering watership down. That's man. It's such a weird, weird grouping of movies. And I keep questioning why I put watership down at the end so that, you know, after covering three fun movies, you know, a, a type of fun, <laughs> we're going to to end on a bit of a downer. But whatever. Yeah, I've actually, yeah I, I'm, I'm very curious to see this. This is a movie that it's a movie that has lingered large in my memory for a very long time, uh, despite the fact that I've never seen it. So that'll be fun to get to. Uh, and I've definitely a weird capper to this series. <laughs> yep. Uh, and then once we finally get through all of these episodes, which again, we might just be powering through and putting like all four of them out in the span of a week, uh, we do have themes picked for the next several months, but we're not going to tell you what they are because as soon as we do, um, my internet is probably going to blow up and my recorder is going to sprout legs and walk away because that just seems to be the way that things happen. <clears throat> so... <laughs> With that being said, we are going to start diving into our review. Uh, and if this is the first episode that you've ever listened to of Video Monsters, um, we're going to start out with a very short review of the... At, wait, hold on. No, we don't start out with a review. We're going to start out with um, with our prior information about the movie in terms of what we already knew about it, how that shaped our expectations. And then we are going to give a very brief review uh, that is going to be spoiler-free. This is going to be, you know, like almost tweet length. It might be too long for a tweet, but, you know, like that's that's what we're focusing on here is just a super quick. Oh, yeah. Here's what I thought. And then we are going to break down that spoiler wall and we are going to analyze the crap out of this and talk for way too long. And we're going to be those annoying guys at the bar who won't shut up about this movie that we love, um, yep. regardless of whether or not we actually love movies, which we do. Regardless of whether or not we love the specific movie that we are reviewing, that is how we handle things. <laughs> so we just talk way too long uh, about things that might or might not have been intended by the director. And we get fun out of it. So so that's what we do. Yeah, this is our this is our outlet for the this is our <laughs> weekly outlet. And we haven't been able to have this space to vent and. And discuss things for a few weeks. So, so you you guys are just gonna have to bear with us, okay? I'm sorry. Yeah, and we're also recording a bit later than usual, <clears throat> so we might get a little loopy, er than usual. Um, yeah, I'm going to not vent because I was about to go down this rabbit hole of just just pure venting, and I shouldn't do that. All right, so, <clears throat> uh, yeah, prior information about Dead and Buried, Eric, what you got? Uh, so I have seen Dead and Buried before, which is kind of unusual. I feel like almost every time we do stuff on this podcast, it's something I haven't seen. It's like I use it as an excuse to watch movies that I've wanted to watch for a long time. Um, anyway, I had originally heard about this movie on the 80s All Over podcast. 
Um, and then um, for Chat Film Fest 2019, uh, they had the director of this film, Gary Sherman, coming down to do um, a uh, what's the word? He just did like a presentation talking about Poltergeist three in particular. But I decided to watch Dead and Buried as well as Poltergeist three as kind of like a pre gaming for CFF 2019. Um, Dear God, has I that really, been two years ago? It's been two years, oh yeah. Oh my God. It's crazy that it's been that long. Um, but yeah, I, I really liked the movie a whole lot the first time I watched it. Um, I thought it was pretty interesting. I expected to enjoy it about the same the second time, maybe a little bit more since I'd met Gary Sherman and, uh, you know, oh, and also we watched Vice Squad at CFF 19. Yeah, we did. Uh, which, man, Vice Squad's so great. Uh, but I thought, you know, I might enjoy it a little bit more. And I especially like, now that I know the full mystery, um, I thought it would be kind of interesting to go back and watch it and kind of see like how they, how that, how that puzzle is kind of laid out throughout the film. Um, but I've got to say like on the second time I enjoyed it way more than I did the first time. Like I, I would, I bumped my star rating of this movie from like, from a three out of five to a four out of five. Nice. Um, which ordinarily on a rewatch I usually keep the rating about the same, sometimes maybe a half a star up or down, but uh, it's rare for me to bump something up a full, a full letter grade. So uh, <laughs> there were just a whole lot of little things on the rewatch that I noticed that, that didn't stand out to me the first time around. Yeah. So that is way more than, uh, than my prior information. Um, I unfortunately had never seen dead and buried prior to prepping for this episode. And even though I have loved all of the Gary Sherman films that I've seen, uh, that list is like embarrassingly low. I have not seen nearly enough of his movies. <clears throat> I, I might or might not have only seen Vice Squad and, and Dead and Buried so far, but I absolutely love both of these movies. <laughs> but you haven't and even seen Poltergeist 3. I have not even seen Poltergeist 3, but <laughs> I did watch uh, Gary's presentation about the making of Poltergeist and like all of the behind the scenes stuff. So I feel like I've seen Poltergeist 3, but yeah. just like uh, a deconstructed version of it. I've not actually seen the full narrative, even though his presentation was like two or three hours long. So I essentially have seen uh, Poltergeist 3. You've seen um, all the good good parts of it. Right. I, I saw all the camera trickery and all of the use of mirrors and all that stuff and how everything was done, like in-camera, practical effects. So cool. But even though I've not seen nearly enough of his movies, having the chance to meet him at Chat Film Fest and going to his presentation and just hearing him talk about his love of, of cinema and the way that he makes the movies that he does... I am just so captivated and I, I love his movies and he, again, based off of my experiences with actually meeting him and again, watching that presentation, I feel like his movies are going to be the kinds of movies that they're going to have to be really bad for me to not enjoy them. Like, I, I feel like I have yeah. just instantly upped uh, whatever my review is going to be. Cause it's like, even if a movie is fine, like I'm going to find reasons why it's like, no, no, here's why it's more than fine. Here's why it's awesome because of blah, yeah. blah, 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 blah. Is that fair? I don't know, but I, well, hey, listen, at least you're being honest about the bias that you have. I mean, that's <laughs> well, the whole point of having a prior information section. Exactly. And again, with watching, uh, with watching and listening Gary talk about Poltergeist 3 
and how much detail went into that movie and how much of himself he put into creating it and, you know, how much he cares about it and just all of the heartbreak involved, um, you know, with the, the tragedy surrounding it. I don't feel like anything that he would make would be just a movie, you know, like I, I would be surprised Maybe not shocked, but I would be surprised if Gary ever made a movie just for a buck, you know, like I'm sure that he has taken work just for money before because, you know, people got to eat. But I, I, I would be very, very surprised if he would ever like full on make a movie without caring about it. You know, it's. It's interesting. I listened to uh, he he did an interview on a uh, postmortem with Mick Garris just actually just a few weeks ago, um, and he talked about how like he made like he he had a a big career in commercials, right? And he made so much money doing commercials that when it came to like his film and television projects, he really did basically just pick and choose what he was interested in, right? Uh, which is kind of interesting. so yeah. Like I, I don't think the I think in terms of it, like his output as a filmmaker outside of commercials and stuff i don't think he ever really did do anything for money i think it was always something that he just had he was he had an interest in and um you know something that piqued his curiosity in some way yeah and i'm glad that you mentioned the uh, the postmortem with mick garris uh, podcast because first off great podcast and anyone listening to us who has not listened to that podcast Go do that. Not right now. Like, you know, finish listening to us first and then go subscribe to uh, to Postmortem because uh, Mick is just awesome and I could listen to him talk for hours. Yeah. But also absolutely go listen to the episode with Gary Sherman because it is just it is fascinating to hear about his life. And uh, and, and that's the other part of the prior information is listening to that podcast and hearing about uh like just the the history and some of the backstory and some of the studio interference that happened with uh dead and buried and how his entire career has kind of been plagued with studio interference that definitely it definitely shapes what i think of the movie uh what what i think of dead and buried but I don't know how it shapes it. You know, it's, it's one of those super weird things where it's like, man, I love this movie. And then I hear uh, Gary Sherman talk about how there are some things about it that he doesn't love and that it was uh, studio interference and it shouldn't have been a certain way. And I'm like that. Hmm. All right. So am I supposed to love it less now because it's not everything that he wanted? Or Mm. does it mean that I love it even more because he was still able to get most of what he wanted through it? I I don't know how it is shaping my, uh, my view of the film, but again, definitely aware of the fact that hearing him talk about studio interference, it it has an impact, right? Yeah. I just can't put my finger on what that impact actually is. Um, but, but yeah, uh, this was the first time that I've ever seen Dead and Buried, and I loved it. Um, in fact, Eric and I were talking before I watched it, because the last several months, we've we, we've been having some contentious episodes where there would be an amazing movie that one of us would love, and the other one would absolutely hate. And then there would be a fine movie that one of us would love, and one of us would hate. And so just that back and forth uh, and because you love dead and buried so much, you're like, oh shit, is Nathan going to hate this movie? 
just oh my god this mm, please don't hate it please don't hate it and well then, i kept telling myself like as i was watching it, i was like there's no f-ing way nathan's not gonna love this movie <laughs> like this just feels like a total nathan movie and then i but i kept second guessing <laughs> myself i'm like but but would he though will he though <laughs> i don't know well this- luckily for you uh and for me i did the i i love this movie and we're Yay. gonna get into why in just a minute uh but before that let's go ahead and give our very quick vague general reviews um so uh, so for me oh uh one of the other things uh before i get into the review i knew that this was a quote-unquote zombie movie i knew that it was a different take on it but um it is not what i was expecting like i i was expecting something else i was expecting something a bit more zombie-ish i was expecting a lot more death um Mm. and that's not what is there in the way that you expect it to be and that's part of why i love it is because of the story that it tells and the way that it tells it i i think that it's fascinating so yeah that leads into my review of uh, it, it's not overly gruesome, especially for uh, for what the plot of the movie actually is. Uh, but it is incredibly atmospheric, like even just the the opening scene. It puts you in this world of I feel uneasy and mm-hmm. and, and and it's one of those good uneasy feelings of this movie is doing its job because I feel unsettled from the tone rather than from uh from the gore uh you don't really get to know too many of the characters but you definitely get a strong sense of the town uh, I, I think kind of like with arachnophobia where yeah. there were a lot of just like little bit characters that you don't know too much about them but because of what you do know you definitely get the uh, the development of the town kind of the same way with dead and buried uh, it's good to mix of revealing enough to have a sense of what's going on, but still leaving a lot of mystery. Um, and, and it doesn't explain everything. That's one of the other things that I really love about this is there are some very key points to this movie that have no explanation, but they don't need an explanation because they serve their purpose. And I don't have to understand why they're being used. I just understand that they are and we'll get into that uh in in just a little bit um so yeah i i was drawn into it i loved it and spoilers i cannot wait to rewatch it so there is my very long tweet version of <laughs> of my review yeah hey, what about a, you that was like a whole that was like a full-on tweet thread <clears throat> um i man i don't it's hard to even I don't even know how to top that. Like you pretty much hit the nail on the head in every single aspect of the film. Um, yeah, I I only, if I'm going to do a tweet link review of this, <laughs> I would basically just say it's kind of <laughs> right. Um, I would basically just say that it's kind of like an, um, like a coastal small town American version of the wicker man uh, mixed with a little bit of the fog. Um, yeah. I don't know. I feel like I'm just kind of spoiling our, uh, our recommendation sections a little bit with that one, but yeah, a little uh, bit. You like I said, you you hit the nail on the head. Yeah, and uh, there there are more things that I want to say, but we're going to say them in just a minute. Um, all right, so Eric and I both love Dead and Buried. We both very strongly recommend it. And if this is where you stop the podcast, 
go watch Dead and Buried right now and then listen to Postmortem with Mick Garris, where he interviews Gary Sherman, and then come back and listen to us, where we, you know, prattle on for the next two hours about uh, our overanalysis. But if you have already seen uh, Dead and Buried, or, you know, if you don't care about spoilers, we're going to get into spoilers. We're going to very heavily spoil this movie. Yes, it is 40, no, 30, 40 40. years old. It's actually about to, it's about to celebrate its 40th anniversary. Yeah. So it's about to turn 40 years old. This movie is older than both myself and Eric. Not combined. Uh, (laughs) It's not that old. Not the Voltron version of us, but exactly. So (laughs) this movie is older than both of us individually, but we are still going to get into spoilers. I, is there a cutoff for how old a movie can be where you don't have to give a spoiler warning anymore? I don't think so, honestly. I, like, there's so many classic films that I haven't seen that I still like try to avoid spoilers for. That, that yeah, I don't. I, I always try to to be, uh, to be conscious of the fact that there's so much out there and there's so many things that people just can't get around to. I mean, I, I think for certain movies, you know, it's it's impossible to make it to psycho without knowing the big twist of psycho or some other thing, you know, other things like that, but, or the sixth sense or something, but <laughs> I, I do love it though. And by love, I mean, hate, but also I think that it's funny because of how just frustrating it is, but also I don't care when someone says, all right, I, I don't want to say what this movie's about, but if you loved movie with a major twist at the end then you're gonna love whatever other movie right and it's just like so you just told me that there's a twist like no 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 i'm not saying that there is but i i think it's so hilarious when people do that like uh okay major 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 spoilers for two completely unrelated movies to what we're talking about but uh at one point uh i i think it was for oblivion i think is that the uh, the Tom Cruise the movie? Tom Cruise movie? Yeah. Yeah. I at one point, I think that's the movie. Someone said something about if you love Moon, then uh, then I think you're really gonna <laughs> like Oblivion. It's like, oh, yeah. cool. So spoilers, they're clones. Cool. <laughs> and it's like, but I didn't spoil it. It's like, yes, you did, because you said if you like this movie with this specific plot twist, you're get- okay. Anyways, yeah. Um. <laughs> I but we're already getting off on tangents. Personally, I do not care about spoilers because I'm the kind who rewatches movies. So if I'm going to rewatch a movie, then I'm going to know what happened and I'm just going to enjoy the, the ride. If it's a movie that is going to like frustrate me and just be like, Ugh, I never want to rewatch this. Then I'd rather get a spoiler and know not to get into something. Yeah. But I, I care about spoilers just because I like the I at least like for the first time I watch something to be a, like if there is going to be a surprise I like to be surprised so I can always like remember you know that that that's kind of a memory for me and I can cherish it and be like oh yeah I remember the first time I saw this I couldn't believe the twist ending but or you know whatever even if it's not a twist ending just like sometimes it's just just knowing the direction that something is going to go even whether it's a twist or not it's like ah oh, well I mean it, it doesn't necessarily ruin the experience, but it does diminish the impact on a first watch in, in certain cases, I think. Sure. But anywho, right now we're talking about. So now what we're talking about, uh, except for the fact that we are talking about 
spoilers. We're going to get into spoilers. I'm pretty sure that we have said that enough. So spoiler uh, wall has been erected. Yeah, it's, it is. It is hard and in your face. Um, that's. <laughs> I don't like how that came out at all. Oopsies. All right. So yeah, you did. Let's. <laughs> let's get into this and we're going to cover this movie the same way that we cover pretty much all our reviews where we're going to be talking about both the technical components as well as our reaction and uh and analysis those sections might be separate ish but they're probably gonna blur into each other um but but yeah we, we try to be as comprehensive as possible which is why our episodes are so long yes um yeah so so, Eric, you've yes. seen this movie before. I have. And when I suggested, I, I'm, I think that I suggested Dead and Buried, or did you suggest it? I can't remember at this point because I actually it's been can't remember. a while. I don't remember which one of us did. Well, because I, I suggested a whole bunch of stuff and you like vetoed so many of my brilliant ideas. <laughs> Um, That's because you were like suggesting movies that were like directly related. Like we should movies do that passion. were actually about Jesus. Yeah, like Passion of the Christ for the week about Jesus. Like, no, I don't want to mo- do a movie about Jesus. I want to, you know, do a movie about the joke about how Jesus was the first zombie because he was raised from the dead. You know, because zombies come back to life and yeah, yeah, they sure do. Yeah. Anywho, hey, Jesus did that too. Oh, wait a minute, that was the joke. <laughs> that was the now. joke. He I was get it. I, actually, Jesus wasn't the first zombie. Lazarus was the first zombie. Oh yeah, yeah, duh. Man, we've been missing that. That's been like right in front of our face the whole time. That, yeah. <clears throat> I I want a horror version of Lazarus rising from the grave. So not what we're talking about. Anywho, uh, either when I recommend or I suggested Dead and Buried. Or when I suggested whatever, and Eric came back with, no, no, we should cover Dead and Buried. Either way, you were very excited about us actually covering Dead and Buried. Yes. What are some of the reasons why you were like, oh, yeah, totally. We, we totally need to cover this one. Uh, well, part of it was that I, I did think that this is a movie that you would like. And I really wanted us to have a movie that we could agree on and not argue about because I do stress out over that. <laughs> it's, it's, I love it. It's fun, but it is also very nice when we agree. I have enough stress in my life as it is. Uh, but no, I mean, I honestly, I just, I just, I really enjoy this movie and um, it's the kind of movie that I feel like I probably would not rewatch unless I had like, something like a podcast to be like yes you we have to do this for the podcast so we need to go back and watch it so i was really excited just to have a reason to go back really? and rewatch it i just i don't rewatch movies that often Man, you know i i have almost and i probably will in the next few days i've almost watched godzilla versus kong three times this month I yeah keep, i keep starting it and i just never have a chance to finish it and i want to i want to sit down and watch it beginning to end with no interruptions and so when I get interrupted, I'm like, well, I'll just start it again later. Uh, yeah, I've, I've watched the same movie twice this month. Well, I did do that with Godzilla versus Kong, too. But again, it was also sort of for the podcast. Right. For, for both <laughs> times. So I don't know. Like, I just I also I like I'll rewatch movies with Ian. Actually, it's funny. I watched I rewatched Poltergeist, uh, the first one, not the third one. Um, because Ian is my uh, oldest son. He's 10. He's really getting into horror movies, so I'm introducing him him to a bunch of stuff. So, like, that's a really great excuse to go back and just watch, like, 
all of my favorite movies. Um, but yeah, like they're just there's certain movies that I just feel like I they just don't rattle around in my head or there's not talked about very much in just general pop culture discourse. I usually have to have some kind of impetus for me going back to rewatch something, whether it be somebody talking about it on a podcast or us talking about it on a podcast. Um, so yeah, I was really excited about that because um, <clears throat> I did enjoy it a lot the first time around. And again, like I said, I thought that there would be a lot more that I could kind of dig into the second time around. And I knew too that like with any kind of zombie style film, there's a whole lot of like subtext to kind of dig into. And I thought it would make great fodder for conversation. I I find that so fascinating that, I, I mean, I know that you don't really rewatch movies, but I find that so fascinating that you're like, I love it. I'm probably not going to rewatch it again. Whereas for me, it's like, this is a perfect Saturday afternoon. I can't think of what to watch. I know dead and buried, you know, yeah. like, and, and not a, uh, it needs to be watched during the day, but it's, it has kind of an almost soap opera tone to it. Um, in, in a good way, in the sense that it is really focusing on the human drama and the inter- interactions between these people. And it's not about the gore. It's about their humanity and their lack of humanity and yeah. what does it mean to be human and what does it mean to be dead and do you have free will and are you really living if you don't have free will and so like there's just a lot of these um there are a lot of themes dealing with relationship not necessarily like romantic relationships but how people interact with each other that like i, I get kind of a soap opera feel from it and so this is a a perfect it's a Saturday afternoon. I can't think of what I, what I want to watch. I don't really want something too actiony. I don't really want something super scary because it's too bright yeah. for scary. I just, ah, uh, oh, I know Dead and Buried. Like it is it just a great movie to turn on and have a cup of tea with. Yeah, and so I, so I find it so fascinating that you wouldn't also rewatch it like at least once a month. <laughs> There's just too many movies out there, man. I, I got, I, I, I'm just, yeah, I don't know. That's, I'm just always looking for new things. And there's so many other things out there that I want to watch that I often don't rewatch unless I have an excuse for it. Sure. Sure. All right. So yeah. speaking of that soap opera feel. Yes. I want to talk about the very beginning of this movie. With uh, George, AKA Freddie. Yes. And, and not Margot Robbie. Yeah. <laughs> Yes, the Manic Pixie Dead Girl. Um, This, the opening of this film is so appropriately bizarre. Like, it's not, all right, nothing about Dead and Buried is like bonkers. You know, it's not like watching a Stuart Gordon flick. It's not like watching, um, uh, um, oh, why am I drawing a blank? Uh, Why am I drawing a blank? David Lynch. It's not like watching a, a Lynchian film where there's like a nightmare logic. It's not so over the top, but it is still bizarre. It is still unsettling. It's almost Carpenter-esque. I mean, you already mentioned the fog and that's definitely yeah. one of the ones that, that I was thinking as well in part because it's a seaside town, but it has this just sort of real and lived in discomfort to it. And the opening yeah. scene, I think, does such a great job of establishing that because you get a guy, you know, just going out and, and taking pictures of random stuff. 
Um, which all right, we're probably going to reference the uh, postmortem episode a few times. Listening to uh, Gary Sherman talk about his history in um, in art school and like his uh, his history with photography, it's so interesting to know about his history with photography and then see some of the pictures that the guy was taking because it's like you you took a picture of a piece of chain. That's something. <laughs> There's yeah so it it just starts out with art it starts out with a guy taking pictures not for journalism not for mm-hmm. any real purpose he's just just taking pictures and then this woman shows up and is like hey do you want to take pictures of me uh okay hey do you want to have sex uh okay hey we're gonna burn you alive <laughs> Wait, what? It, it's <laughs> what? It is so what? It is weird, and and I love it because I feel like that sets again. It sets the tone for this film of a lot of very mundane things happening. You know, a lot of just it, small town life with this very bizarre and sinister undertone. Yeah. I like that. I like that you brought up the fact that it is focused on an artist at the very beginning of the movie and that he is the kind of the first victim. It, it's kind of, I love the way that they use photography in general as kind of like a motif throughout the movie. Mm-hmm. Uh, like every single time somebody gets murdered, what kind of triggers the murder is a photograph. This The movie does this really great thing that's super creepy where, um, you know, you see, uh, you know, the people get sur- basically are surrounded by whoever the victims are. They're surrounded by people in this town, but you don't know it until after they have their photograph taken. Like somebody will pop up and take their picture. And then all of a sudden they're just completely surrounded by people. And it's something where it's like, it's so creepy because it's like, they're not there whatsoever. And then all of a sudden they're there, but it's not done in a way that feels very like Scooby-Doo. It's, (laughs) it's like just slightly just, it's like, they show up in a way that feels kind of immediate and kind of supernatural, but also grounded in a way. I don't really know how else to explain it, but um, it's almost like the flash of the camera kind of like resurrects them. It feels very Frankenstein in that way where the flash represents the lightning that channels the channels, the energy back into their body and brings them back to life. And And I think it's kind of a cool way they use the camera. And then of course the, the camera is also used by the mortician as like, the reason they're taking the photos you learn is because we need to see what they look like in life. So that way Dobbs, the mortician can bring them back to life the way that they were before they get brutalized by the town people. See, so uh, during my spoiler free review, when I was talking about how there's enough mystery, but things are kind of explained, but not always, but uh, the cameras was actually one of the very specific things that I was thinking about in terms of there is never an explicit explanation. Like no Dobbs at the end doesn't say, Oh, and I've had people in town take their pictures so that I can know what they look like because I need all these different frame of reference. You don't yeah. get an explanation. You, you are not bogged down with exposition. Just telling you it. You just, see people with cameras and every time someone's about to die like you just said there's a bunch of cameras from a lot of different angles there's video Mm. there's uh, there's photography and honestly i didn't even think about the fact that yeah the mortician needs a reference to know what they looked like 
I was thinking of it more in terms of spoilers, since everyone in town is already dead. Like this was the way that they were remembering things and like they weren't remembering, but uh, since Dobbs was the one who was, you know, giving them their life and whenever they would come in for a touch up, there's a little uh, explanation at the end of, he says something about like, you remember what I want you to remember, or they have the memories that I give them or something like that. And so, um, yeah, like maybe he needed some of that reference or, you know, since it does start out, since the movie does start out with photography as art, and since Dobbs several times talks about uh, his art as a mortician, you know, like it could have just been his little film project of, you yeah. know, because like towards the end when he has all of those projectors going and it's very oh, sinister, so cool. <laughs> it's a that's cool so, scene. It's so cool the way they have that all those going. That makes no sense. And yeah, well, I was thinking, I was trying to like the second time around, I was like, why would he have all these projectors? And I was like, maybe he has them playing things while he's doing his work, like to for reference or something. But I was like, no, either way, it doesn't really make that much sense, but it looks <laughs> cool. Yeah, it doesn't matter why. It, it again, very, very much sets the atmosphere. It, it, it's literally there for him to reveal his, his big plan to... <laughs> <laughs> to whoever discovers it he just he's like all right roll the film we got it's, get another one guys. it's there for him to explain his plot to the person who is a part of his plot and yeah gee, that's you know I, that's weird the the pho- photography thing's interesting too i didn't think about this till just now but like the opening shot of the film is a picture of the town which is called potter's bluff um and it starts like it's just a still photo of the town that then comes to life it, it comes from a still photo to a moving picture uh and it, it starts off black and white and it becomes in and it's in color uh like it then morphs into being in color and it's literally a photograph of the town coming to life um uh, which is like right there from the very opening shot of the film it tells you exactly what this thing is about well and you know how we overanalyze everything um i think even the name of the town is like just right there in front of you of hey everything is a lie everything is a bluff as it were not just any sort of bluff but it is a potter's bluff you know a potter who is sculpting things in clay the same way that a mortician is sculpting a face out of face clay oh you know what that's actually a fantastic analogy i did not think of that you know what i thought of Uh, i actually thought about this just before we started recording Uh, because I think of this movie as kind of like a reverse It's a Wonderful Life, where that is a movie that's basically about how, um, oh shit, what's uh, Jimmy Stewart's character's name in that movie? George? Uh, God damn it. I'm so upset. I watched this just like a few months ago. <laughs> it doesn't matter. Um, anyway, Jimmy Stewart's character is um, essentially, he's despondent and he learns that like his life is actually full of wonder and he he learns the value of his life and in this movie um and and it's a wonderful life the main bad guy is mr potter um and he is like deliberately trying to take over this town um i'm sorry my analogy is kind of escaping me anyway uh (laughs) i I like mine better of like an artist working in clay listen it made it sense in my head before i started saying it but anyway so uh, I, I do Barry, like though, it being is, a reverse it's a wonderful life so you yeah. know like it's a wonderful death exactly yeah it's like oh you're actually but it, it's a horrible death it's like <laughs> oh you're actually dead and your life is a total lie 
So it is kind of the opposite. So it's Mr. Potter's bluff. It's kind of like Mr. Potter won and then decided that he just wanted to keep tormenting these people after death. But is he tormenting them? Because I don't think that he is. And Well, he's definitely tormenting the sheriff. I see I still don't know if he is. And um I so Eric and I were talking about this before we started recording in terms of trying to work out some of our thoughts. I I think that um what what was the mortician's name again? I've already forgot it. Dobbs. Dobbs. I think that Dobbs is a very interesting character because of his duality of like I am an artist and like he's mad at uh, the sheriff and mad at the town for just putting his works of art in a pine box and shoving it in the ground and like he's angry at what the town is doing with his creations in terms of you know how he's able to um, make horribly disfigured people look as they did in life so like he's mad at the town and he's mad at the sheriff but he is also the one controlling everything because again spoilers everyone else in town is already dead and if if people only have the memories that uh, that Dobbs gives them and because uh, he also says something towards the end of like uh, they have to come in for a touch up like once every it was once every few days wasn't it or maybe like once a week uh, except for the sheriff's wife who could go except for like, Janet yeah yeah she can go whatever like she two was or three the original. weeks yeah but so if everyone else, including the sheriff, presumably, has to come in at least once a week or, you know, roughly once a week, why is Dobbs continuing the facade of what? Why is he continuing the facade of people not knowing? Because obviously there's a lot of people in town who are a part of it, as evidenced by the fact that uh, during the three or four murders throughout the, the movie, like... 20 or 30 people show up like there's a lot of people who are part of the killing scenes yeah why is dobbs then trying to maintain a functioning society where there are other people in town who don't know about it like why does he why does he keep the sheriff out of the loop is he just trying to maintain a batman to his joker is he trying to <laughs> well he does mention that he there's there's a line in the film where he talks about how he he loves playing these little games with him or something so there is kind of like a joker batman adversarial nature to him there's a part of me too that thinks that that sheriff dan is a much more like independent thinker than a lot of the other people like there's even a joke with that robert england makes uh when they're in that cafe toward the beginning where he talks about how he went off to the big city to get a to get a degree in criminology and then he decided to come back to the this small town to uh to be the sheriff here and it's like i wonder if the movie is like trying to say that sheriff dan is basically kind of like shrugging off his programming um but also like i wonder too like with dobbs i assume he's he's obviously got some kind of a god complex and I assume that he wants these people to have some something resembling free will, just not too far, go- you know, like not enough to question their existence and question the uh, the little uh, like Truman Show esque thing that he has created. This you know fake town that he's created for them all to live in, essentially. 
Uh, or I, it's almost I, like a, it's kind of like an it, ant farm. I was just about created. to say it's like yeah. his little ant farm where it's still running itself. But if one of the ants breaks out and tries to bite you, you're going to squish it. it. Yeah. It, it's just such an, it, it's such an interesting way to tell the story and uh, such a fascinating way of, again, like diving into all of these themes that I mentioned at the beginning in terms of what does it mean to be human? What does it mean to be alive? Are you really alive if uh, if you don't remember anything? Like all of these things that are brought up during the movie obviously wouldn't have been able to have been brought up were it not for the fact that, uh, that the sheriff, whatever his name is, not Gabriel Byrne. And God. All right. So I know that uh, during our shivers episode, like we went all in on our joke of not whatever with that main uh, shivers dude, uh, like to the point where we we're just like, uh, not Sharon Stone making up anyone. <laughs> but honest to God, every single time that I looked at uh, James Ferentino, right? Is that James Ferentino. Yeah. 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 Every single time that I looked at him, I expected Gabriel Byrne. <laughs> like I, a few times I almost heard his voice is like, ah, nope, it's, that's not who this is. But I uh, had the exact same. I literally wrote down <laughs> not Gabriel Byrne in my notes. I also had not Ian McShane um, and not young Dick Miller. Oh, there was somebody else and I can't remember who it is now. No, it's just not Gabriel Byrne. Like if dead and buried but was it's ever, definitely not Gabriel Byrne. Yeah. If, if dead and buried was ever remade, and they didn't cast Gabriel Byrne. It's just like you are missing a huge opportunity. <laughs> um, oh, it could be not Dan Hedaya. <laughs> <laughs> could it? For I, sure, yeah. Sure. That all, all those other people are like fine, vaguely, I guess. But man, for me, it's just I I could not unsee Gabriel Byrne. Um, what was I talking about? I was talking about how. Uh, something oh right so like you wouldn't have been able to get all of those themes were it not for the fact that uh that the sheriff was kind of breaking some of that programming or were it not for the fact that dobbs was intentionally programming him to do whatever like maybe he needed some of that cat and mouse because without it life would be too boring Mm -hmm. maybe there's also a little bit of well because movie so like the movie wouldn't have existed (laughs) without it but the movie does exist and like we talked about at the beginning, I don't think that Gary Sherman makes a movie just to make a movie. Like I, I think that he is very intentional with what he creates. Uh, and, and again, in the postmortem uh, uh, podcast, he even talks about how movies, especially horror movies can be such a great outlet for getting across some of these messages that might not have been accepted in a drama or a comedy and how it gives you a different, um, a, a, a different Avenue to try to, to, to get one's point across. Mm. And with what you were saying about, uh, cause I'd forgotten that line about um, like, Oh yeah, you went off to a big city college and now you're coming back here and you're too good for us. And like with that line and <clears throat> With how, um, even though like the entire town is in on what Dobbs is doing, he also is still like the village kook, you know, like he Mm -hmm. is still very much an outsider. I wonder if part of what this uh, movie is trying to convey is the dangers of small town anti-elitism 
and anti-education and anti-creativity and uh, like the, the dangers of conformity and how I Dobbs think- is like trying to highlight the conformity, but then goes too far and ends up making everyone conform. Mm. I I really want to pick Gary's brain about like what specific themes he was trying to convey with this movie. Cause yeah, I, I feel like this is more of a cautionary tale of here are the dangers of blah rather than yeah. like, like here are the dangers of, uh, here are the dangers of demonizing an artist rather than here's why art is dangerous, you know? Yeah, absolutely. I, I definitely think that all, a lot of that is in here. And and that's one of the reasons why I like the ambiguity of like not quite understanding the true nature of the, you know, quote unquote zombie characters of this. Like you don't really know how much free will they have. You do get some really interesting hints. Like I, one of the like creepiest things in this movie is whenever um, it is revealed to, uh, Sheriff Dan that his wife Janet is dead and uh, she comes in and she's like at first she's like obeying the will of Dobbs and then like later on she's like bury me Dan kill me bury me like she's like basically like release me from this prison like I, she's like it's like she's trapped in her own body to a certain extent and he then literally goes off and buries her and then townspeople kind of surround him. It's it, There's just something that's so creepy about that and so terrifying about the thought of like, it's like, yeah, he's sort of giving them free will because like you throughout the film, she's, you know, kind of gaslighting Dan the whole time and trying to convince him that he's crazy. And, yep. but then at there's the end of the of day, it's like, she's, she's, she's a, yeah, absolutely. Um, <clears throat> So yeah, she's constantly lying to him and trying to like, you know, obscure the fact that she's doing all these all these things for him. So it's like is she actually acting of her own volition or is she not? And that there's something really fascinating to me about that um with well, her and, character. And also like even with all of the things that she's gaslighting him about, like yes, he does suspect that she might be involved in a murder and yes, he does suspect that she is cheating on him. So like he has some pretty intense uh, themes of what he thinks his wife might be doing, but how a lot of it is conveyed again is just so mundane where he's just like, where are my bullets or where are my shells? And she's like, when did you go to the beach? I love that line. I love that line so much. (laughs) It's so funny. (laughs) But, but yeah, like arguing with your spouse over I misplaced a thing so obviously it's your fault or like why did you move mm-hmm. this thing that I need uh, or like when he's questioning her about like oh why did you go see that guy and she's like oh I was just getting these cameras for school like there, there's a lot of just very mundane things that are happening and I think that that for me at least is part of why I love this movie so much and uh, part of what like really conveys that terror is this is not some super creepy town on the surface. This is not a, um, this isn't a camp crystal Lake where there's, uh, you know, hundreds of stories of people being brutally murdered, but for whatever reason you continue to build a, a camp there. Like there's not, there's nothing on the outset that would make this town seem like, Ooh, that's a creepy town. It's a quaint, 
little town. I mean, the, yeah, it's it's not the, even like a it's not even a tourist town. Like, there's that one line about how oh, uh, this is going to be bad for tourist business. It's like you get tourists. It's like yeah, that's the point. Yeah. Like, it's just such a nothing town. You don't expect it to be creepy, but then it is so sinister and it's so. I I don't know. I, I think that that's what unsettles me so much about it. Yeah, it's really interesting because it's uh, like when you go through, like, whenever the sheriff is kind of like going through and doing his initial investigation, he's talking to various people in the town. And <clears throat> like all of the towns, townsfolk are kind of quirky. Which I really like, you know, like you'd mentioned, I love in your little mini review how you talk about how like you don't get to know a lot of the people, but you still get a great sense of the place. And it's like, yeah, you, every single character, like whenever they show up again as a dead person, it's like, oh yeah, I remember exactly who that person was. I remember this is the guy who owned the hotel and this is the guy at the pharmacy who, or uh, at the is it the pharmacy where he got, he, it's like a pharmacy where he goes to get the film reel done. I yeah. Think, it's but. what, because it is such a small town. It's mm-hmm. like the all in one pharmacy, uh, yeah, photo, uh, like general store kind of thing. I mean, even, yeah. even down to Freddie, uh, being the gas station attendant, mm-hmm. like it, I, I recognize the fact that yes, this was, uh, in a different era. So trying to watch it with the lens of 2021 doesn't quite work. But also, like, it almost felt Twilight Zone-esque in terms of, like, yeah, absolutely. Re- really, there's still gas station attendants who, like, come out and pump <laughs> your gas and, like, wear their little bow ties and have their hats. And I, I mean, I guess it wasn't that long ago. I guess that would have been a modern thing. Well, I mean, that even kind of fits the fact that this is a town that's kind of stuck in time. Like, it is, it is out of time even for the eighties, like, I don't know if there really were gas station attendants in 1981 at that point, but, but it is a film that is constructed around the idea of like, we're keeping our town exactly the way that it is. It's, it it almost kind of reminds me of like how you would hear, you know, all the crusty old white people during the, the Trump era, like, Oh yeah, really, we want to make America great again. Like it was in the fifties, you know, when we had segregation and, (laughs) and, you know, all these other things, it's like, we want to keep, we want to keep that, you know, this is a good town. We don't want to have outsiders coming in. If outsiders come in, we're just going to make you a part of our town. We're going to absorb you and spit you back out in our image. Yep. Um, yeah. So yeah. And uh, being from a small town, that definitely is a uh, part of the, where the horror comes in. It's just like, Oh, mm-hmm. Hey, yeah, I, I know these people type. Yeah. Of and thing. again, like it, it starts off like it's, you get such a great sense of all these characters just through these little <clears> exchanges. <throat> and it, and it does seem like it starts off feeling kind of innocently quirk, quirky, but it's also still like really off-putting at the same time. Like it, it does, it is very dread-inducing. So quasi-related, something that I wanted to mention is something that, I, again, I didn't notice until um, listening to Postmortem with Mick Garris. Uh, seriously, listen to that podcast, especially the one with Gary Sherman. But when Gary is talking about Den Buried, he uh, he's talking a little bit about some of the studio interference and, uh, you know, like how they wanted to kind of spice it up and, and give it more horror and give it more gore. And they're like, what? You can't have a horror movie without blood. Like they mm-hmm. wanted him to, to add in um, some of the scenes that then ended up making it to the movie. But uh, his original intention was not to have any red in the movie except for uh, the girl's dress at the very beginning and then the blood at the end when Dobbs kills himself. Mm. 
Yeah. Which, like, God, I so wish that that had been the case. And hearing him talk about that definitely gives a lot more depth to things. It's so smart. He even, like, he, he mentioned that he even changed out, like, the taillights in in the vehicle so they wouldn't be red right and there's so much attention to detail in this film and the thing that i love so much about that as you know with my uh, background in psychology that puts this film in an incredibly freudian atmosphere of the movie starts with sex and ends with death and you know like red in film represents anger and passion and so for the for the movie to be bookended with sex and violence for the movie to be bookended with the very base level id of um, again, sex and violence, uh, the uh, sex instinct and, and death instinct for it to be bookended with, you know, sex leads to birth and then death leads to death for the <laughs> death leads to rebirth. No, I like death leads to death better. Uh, for the movie to be bookended with the only times in this movie that you are going to have like a vibrant, passionate color. So the very beginning, at the very end, representing these two extremes, not only is that a smart decision just from a, a visual aesthetic, but like I've kept mentioning with just some of that uh, mundanity, mundane, with how mundane things are, like that really... <laughs> brings in sort of just that brown tone nature of all of it like it's it's almost like putting a sepia lens on the movie but without mm. actually changing any of the color it just dulls everything down yeah like it it i, I don't have this on my list of movies that i would uh, relate this to because i've not actually seen the movie but it reminds me of the book the giver where like the town has no color because it has no life and it has no vibrancy yeah. And the only time that you get color is when the old man touches the little kid. Man, the giver is weird. It's such an I have odd. It, I, have, it, I have it, but I've not read it actually. It's, it's it's one I didn't read in school for whatever reason. It it is both a very good book with a lot of great things to discuss, but also the ways that the old man like gives the emotions and the memories of the town is literally by laying his hands on the kid. Like it's it's weird and it's weird dude yeah it's weird it's super weird anywho and uh you know very real unfortunately but that's not what we're talking about the so so yeah like for there to be that level of detail where you get rid of all of the uh the taillights to change the color to make sure that they're not red I don't, I don't even know where I'm going with that because I feel like at this point I'm just rambling well, with how smart it well, is. I want like I, I I'm glad you brought that up because one of the things that I thought about a lot is uh, I mean the character of Dobbs who we haven't even mentioned is played by Jack Albertson, um, Grandpa Joe, Grandpa Joe from the uh, Willy Wonka and the Chocolate Factory. He's he's so good in this movie. But one of the things that I love so much about his character is just like the idea that he does consider himself to be an artist. Like he is the mortician and he really like he is really passionate about his work <clears throat> and there's he there's a, a scene in the movie where he basically talks about like 
um i can't remember i think it's like when dan is at the like in the end at his uh corner not corner mortician's office whatever funeral home i guess that's what it is <laughs> there you go um <clears throat> they basically talk about like how you have to cover up the bodies or whatever and he's like talking about how what's really obscene is the fact that he has to like he does this beautiful job remaking these corpses after they've been killed and making them beautiful again and then he has to hide them away in a box and how how that's what's really obscene and and it made me think about like how weird americans are in terms of our fascination with death and the weird rituals that we have with death where it's like yes we are going to like now that you're bought now that you are dead we are going to put your body on display so we can go see it because we need that closure Right. And we are going to take your body to this person <clears throat> to have you made up and be beautiful. But we also still like really stigmatize this person and think it's weird if someone wants to go and be a mortician because like, ooh, why would you want to go play with dead bodies and make them cute or whatever, even though we deem this something that is necessary for our own grieving process. Well, it and also... we don't, I don't feel like people in those positions really get the respect that they deserve. And I think that's like a good connection with the sex thing where it's like, it's something that we all do that we all think about that is literally how we procreate. And yet we t always have to talk about it in hushed tones and behind closed doors. And so right. making this, that connection early on <clears throat> in bookending the film with those two things, I think is uh there's a beautiful symmetry there. Well, and that also reminds me a little bit of um, <laughs> reminds me of the first episode of Bob's Burgers, where uh, um, in case anyone out there hasn't seen Bob's Burgers, one of the best TV shows out there. I absolutely love it. But in the first episode, um, Bob is running a hamburger joint and he is accused of putting human flesh in his hamburgers. And right next door to him is a funeral home. And uh, towards the end, uh, he gives a uh, and Bob, by the way, played by um, is it H. John Benjamin? Yeah, I think yeah, H. John Benjamin. I couldn't remember the first initial. Uh, where he's giving a speech about how you know, like people are so respectful of the dead, but so disrespectful of life, and you know, like sure, we revere the dead, but then we treat each other terribly, and then it kind of goes off the rails because it's an animated comedy, and of course it does, but. Like there's still there, there's still some truth with that of people are like, oh, how could you disrespect the dead and then turn around and be just a complete asshole to the person still living. And yeah, I am not saying people should disrespect the dead. That is not what I'm trying to say at all. But there's there's that lack of reverence for the living and yeah. um and and yeah, I mean, like, and sometimes undue reverence for people just because they're dead, like, right? I mean, like, I, thinking about like Rush Limbaugh. I was just about to say yeah. there are you know pieces of human trash that when they are dead, people are like, oh well, let's not speak ill of the dead, really, because he spoke ill of the people with uh, diseases, and he spoke ill of pretty much everyone who isn't him. No, no yeah. sympathy. Uh, because of how much of a piece of human trash he was. Yeah. Not what we're talking about, but it is true. <clears throat> um, what was I talking about? No, I'm just angry. My bad. <laughs> no, it's fine. It's fine. Uh, basically, you're just talking about like how we revere the dead, but yes. not, re not the living. Yeah. Uh, oh, right. Like even to, uh, even to the point where 
like at a funeral, you know, people will spend how many hundreds of dollars on flowers, not not the family. I'm not talking about like the immediate family, because obviously you need that closure. And there is a number of things uh, that do go into that grieving process. But just like the oh, well, yeah, we should send flowers. Just did. Did you ever send them flowers when they were alive? Did you ever do anything nice for them when they were here? Right. A lot of times it's it's almost like we do this we do this more for I mean obviously like we do this more for ourselves than we do for the people who passed on like right. it is well like how is, many thousands of dollars are caskets how expensive are our funerals like oh it's insane yeah, yeah. It's, and it uh anywho <clears throat> we're talking about movies not about how <laughs> the death industry takes advantage of the living um I mean that's I would say that that's a theme of this film. I would say that (laughs) one of the other things that I wanted to mention though, with the uh, people don't appreciate my art and they view it as obscene. What's really obscene is putting it in a box. And then when you brought in, uh, you know, there's some of that uh, sort of same, um, same attitudes towards sex. There's also that same attitude towards a lot of artists, and there's also that same attitude towards anyone in the LGBTQIA plus um, um, world. And there's like there's so many different facets of humanity that make us unique and individual and Mm. and and amazing and awesome and wonderful. And people are like, oh, no, let's keep that quiet. You know, like, yeah, um, it, it. you know, if a kid shows any interest in art, there some parents are just like, "Oh no, you're not going to make a job doing that. Like, you got to do something mm-hmm. that that you're going to make money in." Or um, that's literally something Gary Sherman mentioned in the interview was that his parents didn't want him going to art school because <laughs> right. for that very reason. And you know, like it, it makes me think of the. Um, oh my God, why am I drawing a blank on his name? Uh, uh, Harry Chapin. It reminds me of the Harry Chapin song. Um, flowers are red where the song's about this little kid and uh he like when he's coloring it he just puts colors everywhere puts colors all over the paper uh you know he paints flowers and reds and blues and greens and purples and just all of the colors that he sees because there's so many colors in the rainbow there's so many colors in a flower all this other stuff but then he goes Mm -hmm. to school and the teacher's like no flowers are red and green leaves are green it's the way that it's always been. That's the way that it always will be. And so then, as is the case with all Harry Chapin songs, where they are beautiful, but also just incredibly sad. The end of the song is the kid having all of his creativity stripped from him. And so he's just like sitting there, just almost almost comatose, just coloring in red and green. And he's like, flowers are red and green leaves are green. Mm-hmm. That song was heartbreaking when I was a kid. Now having a kid... And like oh, watching dear. my son, you know, he's he's turning three in a couple of months. So he is still very, very young. But when he colors, just colors are everywhere. And, you know, he does not color inside the lines at all because, you know, he's two. He doesn't have that fine motor control to understand what the lines are. But also it's like I cannot even begin to fathom stifling that creativity in him and you know he's he's not drawing anything he's just putting colors on paper sometimes he says that it's something it's like that's awesome buddy yeah and like i never want to tell him like oh no you did that wrong because like no like if you said that that's a penguin cool that is a penguin looks like a spaghetti monster but cool if you say it's a penguin (laughs) 
that's what it is. It's not like, no, that doesn't look like one. Because I don't want to take that away from him. The world is going to crush his spirit eventually anyways because the world sucks. Yeah. I don't want to rush that along. And I feel like that's one of the themes in Dead and Buried is anything about you that makes you unique, anything about you that makes you different, anything about you that is the not the norm of society, anything about you that would cause a small town to say, you're not from around here, are you? needs to be dead and buried and not allowed to resurface. I mean, I mean, come on, even think about how these people in this town are controlled. Yes. There's some uh, voodoo um, backstory about what's going on, but regardless of whether or not this is actual voodoo, because I don't know enough about voodoo to know uh, what is really part of the uh, belief system and, and what Mm -hmm. is just um, Hollywood saying that it is. Yeah. But regardless, in Dead and Buried, the way that you control people is by putting their heart someplace safe. In this case, their heart is buried. Yeah. And like when you think about a person, like all of their emotion, all of their passion, all of the things that make someone who they are is their heart. When we talk about movies and we say that a movie has a lot of like character, not the characters in it. But the movie itself, when we talk about, you know, uh, movies that just really bring us in, we talk about how the movie has heart. Exactly. Yeah. The people in Dead and Buried literally have no heart. And I might yeah, be overanalyzing things, but God, I hope not, because no, I, I really want that to be sure. the case. Yeah. I was just thinking, too, about the idea of of like Dobbs controlling controlling these people and the whole point of it is he's basically trying to preserve he's he's trying to make them beautiful it's like as soon as anything gets out of place like the whole idea is it's like okay you've been taken from us you've been destroyed i'm going to make you beautiful and resurrect you and you're going to be beautiful forever and it's going to be beautiful according to my standards um yeah I, well, I and, love- and first i want you destroyed before i can make you exactly beautiful. like you yeah, have to have you, a horrible have- death so that i can show my true art yeah, and they literally—I mean—that they literally say like it, it, the only way for it to work is if you die in a horrible way. So it's like you literally have to just obliterate all that was there beforehand to be rebuilt, like you're, like he's. <laughs> oh my god! I don't know why this. The first thing that I thought of was pimp my ride. <laughs> <laughs> you ever watch that well, show? In this case, it would be pimp my hide exactly pit my hide oh my god i don't know the first i was just thinking about how like in pit my ride it used to annoy me so much because it was like yeah we're gonna give you we're gonna we're gonna pimp your ride and it's like most of the time they would literally take every all of the parts away and rebuild it from scratch and i'm like that's not pimping your ride that's just giving them a new car well they would take away everything that was functional like exactly yeah some of the uh like after stories of just like yeah this is a piece of trash now like it can't even drive it's so heavy so dumb now i'm just picturing uh was it exhibit was that exhibit yeah yeah. now i'm just picturing exhibit there next to dobbs just like yo i heard you like dead people so i'm gonna put a dead person in your dead person (laughs) oh man so great um speaking of pimping pimping things uh at least in terms of the way pimp my ride uses uses that uh uses that adjective uh, we haven't talked very much about the technical aspects. I do want to take at least a couple minutes to talk about this because this is what really stood out to me on this rewatch 
is how incredible, like Gary Sherman again is a consummate craftsman when it comes to filmmaking. Like he is so good at doing things in a way that is like technically brilliant, but also not showy. Like I feel like a lot of times, especially with like modern directors, it's like, Ooh, we're going to do a Warner. We're going to do a long take here. And we're going to make sure you see that this is that we're doing a really long shot that this is like a 10 minute take. And I didn't notice this the first time around, but on this rewatch, I was like, man, there are a lot of scenes in this movie that are just like five or six minutes long where there's just a whole conversation that plays out in one shot and the camera's kind of like slowly swooping around characters. There's one scene in this film in particular that I think is absolutely extraordinary. And um, like the cinematography in general is just brilliant. Um, It was shot by Steven Poster, who went on to do things like Donnie Darko. which was sort of in contention for this Easter resurrection series that we've got going on here. (laughs) It was also in contention for the bunny series. Yes. Um, But there is a fantastic scene where uh, you get the, that moment where the hitchhiker is murdered, uh, the woman, and she's taken into for Dobbs to basically get like to, to pimp my ride, (laughs) like to rebuild her from the muscle up essentially. Um, which is just an extraordinary effect. But the scene that takes place after that is a really long shot where like it shows him kind of popping her eyeball in. Um, And then the camera kind of pans up to him. uh, And then it pans back down. And at this point it has been replaced with the actual actress. Um, And it just kind of focuses on her for a long time while you see him kind of out of focus in the background, like finishing up. And then another person comes in and touches her face and resurrects her. And it's just the kind of thing that is so brilliantly, it's just done in such a brilliant but subtle way where it's like you don't even really realize it until it's pointed out to you. I feel like yeah, uh, that it's all taking place in one shot. And And it really tricks your brain into thinking like, because of like how it's not drawing that much attention to it. Um, you know, again, the first time I, I saw that scene, like it just, it, it never like there, like there, there's a part of me that's like, okay, does she have a glass eye or something that they pop in there? So, but no, it's like, it's actually a dummy and they just replaced her so quickly and done such a, it's just brilliant. I'm, um, I'm stammering through my, through my stuff again here, but yeah, no, like uh, pretty much all of the effects I I think looked great. And, you know, in part because actual practical effects feel much more real. Yeah. It's an early Stan Winston, Stan Winston thing. uh, And they're incredible. Like, especially like whenever you see, uh, you know, like George Lemoyne, whenever he's in that car in the beginning of the film and his face is burnt. First of all, that's an incredible jump scare whenever he screams it's it reminds me so much of like the sloth scene in seven um it's such a great jump scare but like he looked it looks like a real cadaver that has been burnt i mean it's the effects are incredibly impressive and then the hitchhiker too like whenever it first cuts to her on that operating table it's really jarring and unsettling yeah Um, there's only one scene that caught my eye in terms of like and that didn't look too great and that's when uh they like shove that acid in the doctor like that's the yeah. only one, but it's because it's because he was supposed to look like normal. He he wasn't looking decayed or anything at that point, and so it just his face didn't well, that look was one quite of the, human enough. But that other was one than of the that, effects that Stan Winston didn't do actually. Like in that postmortem podcast 
uh, Gary talks about how that was a scene he that he didn't want to shoot, but he was basically kind of forced to do it. And so the and they had to do it like in a really short amount of time. So the effects just didn't hold up at all because Stan Winston basically like he refused to do it. So they had to bring in an entirely different crew to do it. And so that's why that scene looks looks so bad. That makes Um, sense. And also that totally makes sense. That that was a uh, a studio scene because why would the doctor not have already been dead? He he's supposed to already be dead. Yeah. yeah so it, it doesn't. Everyone make any is sense. supposed to already be dead. That doesn't make any sense whatsoever. It's only supposed to be mm-hmm. the outsiders. It's only supposed to be. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I wonder if the town rejects anyone. Like I I wonder if they only kept the people that they thought you are a good fit for. When I say the town, obviously I just mean uh, mm-hmm. what's his name, Grandpa Joe. Um, yeah. Like I I wonder. I also wonder how many people that town can sustain because if no one dies, then well, it's <laughs> then no one's going anywhere. Like, is yeah, he going to hit just a critical mass where it's just like, all right, well got all my dead people now. I mean, I think eventually maybe he just wants to take over. He's just going to eventually get, he's going to do the, the whole world. Eventually he'll get there. Maybe he, he is immortal at there. this point. Um, you can't kill him. You can only make him dead. I was just about to say, um, <laughs> I do love the line at the end where he's saying to the cop, you'll try to kill me, but you can't, you'll only make love- me dead. It's, it, and, and again, especially with like him being an artist of like, yeah, I might be gone, but you can't ever destroy what I am or what I've created. Yeah. Or even just like going back to what I was ranting about uh, a few minutes ago of like anything that makes us different society wants to shut it away in a box. Like you can't kill ideas. You can't mm-hmm. people try, but it is much harder for an idea to actually die. And so, you know, there was a little bit of that with, uh, with his line of you can, you can't kill me. Like you can't kill what I am and what I've created and what I've done. Mm-hmm. You can just make me a part of it. And it's like, man, a this movie is so virus. smart. It's really, it really is brilliant. And again, like it's, uh, we've talked mostly just about like all of these kind of deeper layers, but even just from a, a pure filmmaking craft, like it's just so brilliantly put together. I also did. Here, here's one other thing I want to mention. So you know how they have like the shot of George in the full body cast with like it, just his eye kind of exposed there where that gets the needle in it. Right. That whole body cast is, is a prosthetic. Like there is not an actual human being in that. It is a dummy. It is a mechanical dummy. I mean, that makes sense. Which it blows my mind. Like ever, like I, I knew that watching it the second time and it still is just, it's unreal how, how real it looks. I mean, it is so convincing. And then of course, yeah, when that needle gets jabbed in the eye, it is, Oh, I, I can't stand eyeball trauma in general, but man, that's, <laughs> it's so great. I, I, I love this movie. I think it's, I think it's really brilliant. I even think like, I get why people wouldn't like the twist ending that the Sheriff Dan has been dead the whole time, but I think it's, it's really effective. I literally forgot that that was the end of the movie. Like it shocked me all over again because you're so focused. Like the movie it's written so brilliantly. Like it's actually written by um, uh, Ronald Shusett and Dan O'Bannon who did alien. Like alien was the movie they'd written before this. Um, and it's so brilliant. in the way that it, whenever uh, the sheriff like watches that video and he sees his wife 
in bed with what he thinks is another man. Like it's, you're so focused on like, Oh, he finally caught her. Like he finally caught her in a lie. She's cheating on him. He's going to go down there and confront her. And then the reveal that the man in the bed, well, not only that, you know, she's cheating on him, but that she's murdering someone that of course is shocking as well. But the reveal (laughs) that the person that she murdered is him. him. He's poking her. Right. Exactly. The, but the way that they play that out where you see the film and he gets up before he finishes it and then they show the rest of it later on. Uh, it's so brilliant and such a great, such a great way to reveal that twist. And, and even it's, it's so simple, but also the fact that the way that she is killing him is she is stabbing him in the back. Yeah, so, exactly. Like, there is a very literal, you are seeing the way that he is feeling. Yeah. It's, it's simple, but it's smart. Um, yeah. And that's th- honestly, that's the, the way the best stories are told. Like there's, I can't like, I feel like the more you complicate a story, the less effective it is. And I, when you can boil something down to its essence like that in a way that's not like super obvious, you know, like you're not just, holding the audience's hand the whole time, but you know, you, I don't know. It just feels like everything in this film is just so carefully thought out other than of course the studio intervention, but <laughs> right. Yeah. And that really doesn't detract from the movie that much. I, um, you mentioned that the twist ending works. I go back and forth on whether or not it does, um, just in terms of, uh, like when, when there is the big reveal, that Sheriff Dan was dead the entire time. Like, I was like, oh, of course he was like, I, I didn't call it. It's not like I knew it, but once it was revealed, it's like, Oh, that makes sense. Yeah. And so it's one of those like, yeah, it's a twist. And yeah, when I was watching it, I did kind of have a, oh, but like the mm-hmm. oh, immediately went into, Oh yeah, that may, I guess that makes sense. Like, yeah. Yeah. I mean, it, the rest of the town was dead. He didn't just move there. How did he not know? Yeah, yeah, I kept. It makes sense that that he'd be dead. That was another thing that I had like running through my head is I because I'd forgotten that he was dead. Like the whole movie, I was like, wait a minute, I don't understand. How could he be the only one who's not dead? I'm. I like kept trying to remember if the movie explained why he wasn't dead, and I was like, oh yeah, it does. He is dead. (laughs) (laughs) He's just dead. Right. He he just is. I was overthinking Um, it. Yeah, I, I, I love. I, I've already mentioned the tone a little bit, but I love the fact that this movie has sort of that like film noir uh, thing going on in terms of like there's one man against everything. Not so much in like a um, an example that I can't think of because it's late, but you know, like it has that uh, like one guy going out trying to solve a mystery, and he, the deeper he gets into it, the deeper he understands that you know he's been in it the entire time, and like as each thing unravels, you know he gets drawn into its web. Like I love that uh, film noir style, but there's also even though this is presumably a northeastern coastal town, I guess. Yeah, it's like um, New Englandish. It it has a very southern gothic feel. You know, yeah. like the this movie very easily could have been set in Savannah and like just changed the coast with, you know, like more marshy type stuff, but I, I feel like it would have worked exactly the same. Um or or you know, yeah, like absolutely. somewhere in Louisiana. I just I I really, really like that sort of southern gothic feel and it's not often that you get a southern gothic film noir mixed in with a psychological horror film about zombies that's not about zombies yeah T- trying to explain this movie is 
difficult. <laughs> it's both very easy, but you can it's it's easy on the surface, but you could you could make it very difficult because there's a which we do. There are a lot of knots on that rope. <laughs> I don't know if that metaphor works or not. Eh, sure, it. why not? Um, all right. We probably could keep talking about a number of things, but I'm starting to feel like most of what we would say would just be reiterating the main points that we've already touched on. Um, Before we move on, is there anything where that is not the case? Like, is there anything else that you can think of where it's like, oh, wait, crap, no, really want to mention this um, but before we move on? Because I think that we've hit everything that I wanted to focus on. Just wanted to make sure I don't leave you hanging there. Uh, I don't remember if we talked about this before or after we started recording. The only other thing I think that I I can think of is that what I love the most about the twist at the end of this movie is that the idea that the answer was kind of like right in front of him the whole time and the fact that he was so focused on everything else happening around him and what everyone else was doing that he didn't like take a moment to kind of examine himself. And I think that like, you know, as we've mentioned a little bit, that there's this whole kind of cult of personality issue at the core of this movie where Dobbs is a very uh, kind of Trumpian figure to a certain extent. Only we bet he's actually he's actually even scarier, I think, than Trump to a certain extent because he believes in what he's doing, whereas Trump is just more of like a kind of benign evil. But Dobbs actually I wouldn't say benign. Well, I think that Trump is just kind of an unwitting doofus who is. Trump, Trump is uh, a con man evil. Yes. Okay. Yeah. Rather that's, that's than true. a. Um, I think that he's the kind of person yes. who thinks he is the smartest person in the room when he is usually very much not the smartest person in the room, which is why he is a very bad con man. <laughs> but, but he also has the ability, he has this incredible power over people. And. And that's what's interesting is the idea that James Ferentino's character here was basically being controlled the whole time and had no clue because he was so focused on what everybody else was doing. He was so focused on what, you know, that he that there was some enemy out there, that there was somebody out there murdering all these people. And he was he like he just couldn't see what was right in front of his own eyes. And that's there's something about that that's really terrifying uh, at least for my family members have been infected by this just <laughs> awful, just this awful kind of tribalism that's been running through. I mean, I know that this isn't exactly new, a, a new thing in political life, but it just feels so much worse than ever because of things like social media or whatever. But yeah, I mean, just like this, they just get infected by this tribalism and they see people on the other side of the aisle as like a total, as just like, a total it's it, there's a total othering that is really scary to me the way that well and you look at at you you the way that they can look at the most marginalized groups in society and think that they are actually the ones who are oppressed yeah you know what i mean like well, they're the oppressors but they feel like they're oppressed and you can even get into that like with very explicitly what is shown in dead and buried in terms of um Sheriff Dan, even though he is already dead, he does, we think, have more free will 
in terms of like he doesn't know that he's already dead. He doesn't know that he's a part of it. He is trying to unravel this mystery. Whereas most of the other town or most of the other people in town, they're already dead. They already know that they're dead. They're just doing what they're supposed to. And, you know, like they're they're just following orders. Yeah. And they seem much more complacent. Like they they don't have yeah. the same the same level of um, not really trauma, but they're not going through as much agony as yeah. the sheriff is throughout this movie. So like, even though he is in a situation that is very much outside of his control, he is still doing everything to fight against it to the point where when he has that realization, because it's shown <laughs> uh, on, on the video that he is already dead. Like he is having an extreme um, an extreme identity crisis where he's like, no. Yeah. <laughs> also at some point, it comes to we, the cognitive dissonance. Well, at some point uh, we totally need to do a series or at least a segment on like the top 10 no's in, uh, <laughs> in cinema. <laughs> uh, that's a good idea. Uh, but like, yeah, like when he realizes what yeah. his life actually is, he, it is a traumatic experience for him. Whereas everyone else who is just going along with it, they're just fine with it. Mm-hmm. Except for his wife when she's like, just, just bury yeah, me. Like, kill me so now. Interesting. Well, and so like that brings up, you know, as I do, a lot of questions about what does it mean to be uh, human? You know, which of these people uh, it does have a more real life? Um, you know, like it, it even makes me think of the um, junk food cinema when they were talking about um, Fight Club and The Matrix and, ter- and not. Uh, was it also when they were talking about The Crow or was it just that I was listening to those around the same time where they were talking about like remember. the authentic versus inauthentic? Yeah. And, you know, like where you find yourself in that balance. And sometimes you have to completely break that mold to find who you are. But then other times it's only by being in that mold that you're able to understand how to break out of that mold. And so, yeah, absolutely. I, this is a really smart movie. The more that I talk about it, the more that I'm diving into it and digging into it. That's what I'm saying. Like once, like the first time around, it's like, yeah, this is a fun little small town thriller, horror movie, good scares. Well done. But the second time around, I was like, holy shit, there is so much more to this movie than, than I realized that first time around. It's, 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 it's great. I love it. Yeah. Like literally the more that I talk, the more that I'm thinking about it. That, That honestly, before we started recording, I was saying to myself, I don't know if this episode's going to be quite as long and it's not quite as long because we're not arguing about as much. Yeah. But like, I was honestly kind of thinking to myself, yeah. like, I mean, it's a great movie, but am I really going to have that much to say? And then I start talking. It's like, Oh, holy crap. Yes. Yes, I am. <laughs> but you know, uh, all right. Um, we already kind of addressed this, uh, towards the beginning, but how rewatchable do you think dead and buried is? Well, it's definitely more rewatchable than I would have initially suspected than I did initially suspect, not would have, because I actually already did it. (laughs) Uh, I think, I don't know, I'm getting my head wrapped up in some weird time loops. Um, No, I I think it's I think it's super rewatchable. Like, I honestly think that you kind of have to rewatch it to really get the full effect of this film. Um, Either that or, you know, have a podcast where you can actually talk about these things and recognize <laughs> what's buried under the Hey-o. surface. Um, yeah, I like I said before, I it's not it wasn't a movie that I ever really like 
thought I would rewatch um, again, just because I have so much other stuff. But sure. um, I, I'm at a point now where I'm like, OK, I actually probably will rewatch this movie a few more times. Um, and I think it's the kind of movie that I would rewatch now without needing a reason to go back to it. Right. Uh, you know, like, especially as my kids get older and they're getting into horror movies, like I, I can't wait to like recommend them some deep cuts or whatever. I don't know if this is even really, really a deep cut or not, but, um, but yeah, I, I, I definitely want to rewatch this movie and I especially want to share this movie with other people. Um, because I think it is is so great. And like I said, I don't feel like people talk about it all that much um, outside of some of the podcasts that I listen to. So um, I definitely want to share the gospel of Dead and Buried <laughs> with others. You, you want to um, give this movie new life is what you're saying? Exactly. Yes. Oh, maybe we need to talk about the fact that the Potter's Bluffs little slogan is a new way of life. Uh, it's so, so great. <laughs> um. I, I, for me at least, and and also, you know, understanding some of that prior information and context of how you and I watch movies differently and how you don't rewatch movies and I do a lot. I have way too many movies that I need to watch, um, yet I keep finding myself watching some of the same ones over and over. For me, I honestly could see myself watching this once a month. I'm not going to because there are too many other movies that I need to watch and there's way too many that we need to cover on the podcast. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I get too into themes and like, I go through, uh, like different moods, you know, like during the summer, love watching just action movies, you know, like Marvel and James Bond and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. And, you know, then get into more of the Christmas movie and blah, blah, blah. So like, obviously different times of year, I have different moods in terms of, um, what kind of movie I want to watch, but if if I rewatch this once a month, I don't think that I would get sick of it. Uh, it we've already mentioned uh, this one at least, but it's about as rewatchable as The Fog is for me. So it might not be one that I'm just like clamoring to rewatch, like oh my god, I need to watch it right now. Mm. But it's also one that every single time it's on, it's like yeah, I want to watch that. You know, the, the kind of movie that. Anytime that I'm at a, a, a thrift store, if I see it, I'm probably going to pick it up, even if I already have a copy. It is that kind of movie. Yeah. Um, yeah, I, I think it's incredibly rewatchable. I might not actually rewatch it that much, but I do think it has that rewatchability. All right. Yeah, absolutely. We've already mentioned a few of the movies, but um, what other movies would you pair this with? Yeah, I pretty much mentioned all the ones that I was going to do. I think the the biggest one for me is The Wicker Man. Um, the Wicker Man is is also about a guy who... Is, that is more explicitly about an outsider going into um, a town that is very cult-like. Um, and it is much more like um, overt with its uh, themes about religion. Um, but this definitely feels very much like the American version of, of the wicker man. Um, I'd also pair this movie with Frankenstein. Uh, I think that's a pretty obvious comparison where Dobbs is very much like a Victor Frankenstein S character. Um, uh, it's a wonderful life again. That would be just kind of a fun double feature. Nathan has typed out the Truman show on Only my because line. you mentioned it earlier. I did mention it earlier. Yeah. That's like, it's, it's funny because the, I wasn't thinking about that at all until 
until we were discussing it. But yeah, I mean, honestly, the Truman Show is very much about a person who is whose entire life is being controlled by outside forces. So um, yeah, it's a fantastic pairing. Yeah, he's, so, yeah. He is a part of the system without realizing that he's a part of the system and everyone else is is in on it. Exactly. It's just they're being controlled by cameras rather than being the ones controlling the cameras. I, I think that's a great pairing. Absolutely. Yeah. Uh, yeah, so the ones that that I've got on here, most of them are ones that I have mentioned very recently because we just apparently are covering a lot of movies that deal with what does it mean to be human. Um, and, and also we just mentioned some of these uh, throughout the episode. But uh, some of the ones that I would pair it with are The Fog, Twin Peaks, um, Invasion of the Body Snatchers, Sixth Sense, obviously because he was dead the entire time. Uh hereditary six cents stole the twist from dead and buried it did. <laughs> hereditary not only in terms of you know like the cult and hereditary manipulating everything but also gabriel Byrne. um <laughs> but the two that like if i was to do a triple feature i would probably put it with scalpel um, which is directed by is oh the my John God. Grismer movie. Yes, John Grismer. It's like why I cannot forget his name. Uh, directed by John Grismer, who also did Blood Rage, which is just mwah, the best Thanksgiving horror movie to ever be in existence. And no, I'm not joking. And yes, it is one of the only Thanksgiving horror movies, but we covered this a couple of years ago where I went on for a long time about how technically great blood rage actually is despite how terrible it seems on its surface it just mm. john grismer has only done three movies scalpel I think the bride or last house on massacre street uh and and blood rage and scalpel so part of the reason that i pick scalpel is it is also a like southern gothic um horror tale that involves a doctor recreating someone's face uh, and like having to be a different person in this world in in a different context, but like someone being who they aren't uh, again for different reasons, but it's more than just the fact that I want to throw John Grismer into pretty much every pairing as as much as I can. I think you're, you're basically the world's biggest John Grismer fan. I might be the only John Grismer fan. Um, (laughs) outside of people who just watch blood rage at Thanksgiving. Um, And then the other movie that I would put it with is dark city, which uh, I've never seen dark city. I've started watching it one time and I liked it a lot, but for some reason I never finished it. Watch the cut. And I can't, I want to say that it's the director's cut. So Alex Proyas. I can't remember. Um, Watch the watch the director's cut that does not start with narration. So if you okay. if, if you start Dark City and you hear uh, Kiefer Sutherland talking, you're watching the wrong cut. Find a different okay. one where you do not hear Kiefer Sutherland talk at the very beginning. It's just a pan down onto a city. So just kind of like the uh, kind of like the same rule with Blade Runner. If Harrison Ford's talking at the beginning, don't watch that shit. <laughs> yes. Or if uh, if Keith if Keith or Sutherland is talking, just mute it uh, until the camera like gets down onto the street. It, it's so much better if you do not have the narration at the beginning. Um, okay. But uh, I almost don't want to spoil it because you 
don't like spoilers as much um but i'll just say that it does touch on a lot of the themes that we've been talking about especially involving memory mm-hmm. uh and the other reason that i would pair it uh in terms of uh scalpel dead and buried and dark city is scalpel is very 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 much a southern gothic horror and dark city is very much a film noir horror and so dead and buried is kind of right there in the middle but without being quite so uh, extreme on either end. Um, so yeah. it, 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 it hits a lot of tones, I think. Okay. Whether or not Gary Sherman would appreciate uh, Dead and Buried being paired with Dark City, I don't know. Um, but that's that's what I'm doing. All right. All right. <clears throat> We're not done yet. I know. <laughs> we are to the part. <laughs> that I've been looking forward to for days. And also um, after we get through this, I can finally log some movies on Letterboxd that I've not been logging because I didn't want you to get any hints. All right. So as you've been listening to the podcast for a while and not just tonight, but like previous episodes, you've probably heard us do our beginning, middle and end, which is based off of uh, the Tim Burton quote. Um, Every story has a beginning, middle and end, just not always in that order where we will take whatever movie we are talking about and then cram other two other movies around it. Um, sometimes the movie we're talking about is beginning. Sometimes it's not. Um, but we take three completely unrelated movies and somehow Frankenstein them together to be uh, telling one cohesive story. Um, again, this is based off of uh, Tim Burton's movies with um, Corpse Bride and... No, uh, wait, is that right? Is it Corpse Bride? Corpse Bride, uh, oh shit, what are the other ones? Night, uh, Nightmare Before Nightmare Christmas. Nightmare Before Christmas, I almost said Nightmare on Elm Street. Is Nightmare it Frankenweenie? That can't be right, is it? Well, Frankenweenie's got the dog in it. Isn't the dog the connecting tissue? Was it? I thought it was the connecting, connecting tissue. tissue of, like, him and his bride. Anyway, we'll say Frankenweenie. So yeah, Frankenweenie, you have the kid and his dog. Or and then in, um, um corpse bride when he finally is also dead you get the little skeleton dog pop back up and then in nightmare before christmas you have jack and his uh, little ghost dog so a very loose connective tissue but still fun so we've done this speaking of loose connective tissue uh i just want to clarify that tim burton stole that quote from jean-luc godard whatever Um, so just I, credit where credit is due. Sure. So, <laughs> um, so the Jean-Luc Godard quote, as has been appropriated through Tim Burton's movies, <laughs> or the Jean-Luc Picard quote. That's what I want. <laughs> that, that's where we're going. <laughs> we'll just split the difference, and we'll just say it's Jean-Luc Picard. Yes. <clears throat> so we've done this on a number of episodes where we take three unrelated movies. And piece them together to tell a cohesive story. This time, taking some inspiration from Dead and Buried, where uh, the the memory is kind of implanted each time around, and they don't really have a cohesive life. Eric and I have put together a beginning, middle, and end slash epilogue. Drawing some inspiration from uh, an activity that if any of you have ever been in a creative writing class, you've probably done where you write a story or, you know, you write a couple of paragraphs and then you hand off the last sentence that you wrote and the next person 
writes, you know, whatever the specified limit is based just off of that last sentence that they got. So they don't know the entire context. They just know that connective piece. So the way that we have done this is I thought of a movie and I wrote a vague description and I gave that description to Eric. He does not know what movie I chose, only the description that I gave him. Yes. Based off of that description, Eric picked a movie. He did not tell me what it was. He wrote up his description and sent that to me. We went back and forth a couple of times. So here we're going to read the descriptions and we still don't know what movies the other person has chosen. Um, we still don't know what movies the other person has chosen. And I wonder if any of these are going to be actual surprises. We're going to start by reading the descriptions um, and then we'll go back and discuss what the movies are and, and fill in some of the details. So it starts with a group of young children encounter a mythical being and the laws of reality are bent as they engage on their quest. One of the children, yes. uh, uh, you have the notes pulled up, right? I do. All right, let's, let's actually go back and forth. We should have discussed this before we started. Let's go back oh, yeah, and forth yeah. and actually read our parts. So I'll read mine uh, over so that there's a, uh, a a continuous narrative yes yes. (laughs) a group of young children encounter a mythical being the laws of reality are bent as they engage on their quest one of the children grows up and becomes a scientist to learn more about how this creature was able to bend reality during an experiment he accidentally opens up a wormhole to another dimension and unleashes a horde of horrible creatures that wreak havoc across the globe the other dimension is actually hell and since he opened it he is now doomed to it So he spends the remainder of his days hunting down the creatures that he has unleashed upon the world. As he hunts these creatures down, he slowly begins to realize that everything he understands about his reality is a lie, carefully constructed by a shadowy organization to manipulate him into doing their dirty work. All right. So (laughs) let's go back. Eric, do you have a guess? On the first movie, a group of young children encounter a mythical being and the laws of reality are bent as they engage on their quest. So my my first thought is it. Um, it is not it, it. It is not it. it is I not figured it. that was too obvious. I, it's a group of young children. That's why I was thinking it. Like I also thought about A Nightmare on Elm Street. It um, is not A Nightmare on Elm Street. But those kids are not young enough. Um, it is not Stranger Things, I assume. It is not Stranger Things. Uh, is here, it, is it a, a horror film? No. And also, okay, yes. That's... It is a horror film in the way that I say everything is horror. But no, it is not cataloged as a horror yes, film. Of course. of course. It is cataloged as a children's slash family oh. film. Uh, is it, oh, no. I had this it, thought. Is it E.T.? No. It ah. will, will help. <laughs> it, it might help. If you understand that um, my choice of phrasing with mythical being is not inaccurate, but a uh, slight bending of what some people would probably characterize as an accurate description of said film. Um, Is it super eight? No. Uh, I keep, I keep thinking like Amblin in the Amblin territory is the, am I on the right track? Um, no, you are not correct at all. Okay, yeah, I'm, I'm, there's probably no way I'm going to guess this. <laughs> all right, I'll I'll give you one more hint. <clears throat> okay, there is also a direct connection with Dead and Buried. A direct connect? Is it Poltergeist? No, Poltergeist. Oh well, no shit. I'm doing the Amblin thing again. A direct connection with the. Oh, is it Willy Wonka? Yes, it is. 
of course i was going way too into the mythical being yeah right. so he is willy wonka is would, a man of myth like he is a like you know he he's he's this mythical being living in this chocolate factory i, and, I feel like i would have maybe gotten into that a little bit quicker if it was mythic being instead of mythical fine mythic being that's good that's good okay all right so so my next part was basically about how one of the kids grows up to be a scientist and then unleashes a portal that un- or opens a wormhole that unleashes creatures on the earth so i okay so i have no idea i feel like this is one that as soon as you say it i'm gonna like of course um we oh we don't focus i'll just say don't focus very much on the whole scientist part that was just the connective tissue that doesn't really have anything to do with the film itself fair enough so uh so when we were doing this we also let dan who has been um joining us on a number of episodes recently um we told him about them and his guesses were stephen king's it uh, for the first one mm-hmm. and his guess for the second one is it, it's the only thing that i'm like i sure i'm just gonna steal his answer of event horizon you know event horizon was a, a film that i considered um it is not event horizon i will give you a hint um the re the film that i picked here the reason that i thought of it was because i was jumping off of the idea that the first film was it like in my mind i was like okay i'm gonna pretend the first movie is it so i'm going with another stephen king adaptation (laughs) so that narrows it down quite a bit again like as soon as you tell me i'm gonna be like of course i man i don't know do you you want me to tell you You, go ahead and tell me it is the mist oh again of course the mist yeah yeah i was also thinking about like the fog and how that that was my connection to dead and buried was you know it's kind of like the fog right no the mist that makes also about weather so weird weird foggy weather patterns (laughs) (laughs) oh lord all right so the next piece the other dimension is actually hell, and since he opened it, he is now doomed to it. So he spends the remainder of his days hunting down the creatures that he has unleashed upon the world. Uh, I it's Dan's not a Hellraiser was, movie, is it? No, I wish that it okay. was. Dan's guess was uh, Dylan Dog, and it is not Dylan Dog either. That is that is a very interesting guess. Um, is it Constantine? It is Constantine. Oh, yes. Yes. <laughs> and I have been waiting to log that on Letterboxd for about four days now. That you know, when I read that, I almost like tried to make the fourth movie Constantine. <laughs> Try like because <laughs> I was like, ah, I don't know if it's Constantine or not, but that sounds sort of like Constantine. So maybe I can find a way to kind of make that work. Yeah, no, it's it's Constantine. Um, nice. And when we come back and uh, fill in some of these gaps, I'm I'll I'll give another piece. Uh, all right, so the last that, one. Uh, this was uh. As he hunts these creatures down, he begins to realize that everything he understands about his reality is a lie, carefully constructed by a shadowy organization to manipulate him into doing their dirty work. Jacob's Ladder. No. Damn it! <laughs> you know, that's, Dan, that's Dan a guessed, very good one. Dan guessed The Matrix, um, which because because the previous one was Constantine, like I was just in a Keanu Reeves mindset and was like, ooh, is the Matrix? Mm, it, it better not be The Matrix. Mm, er. All right. Do you want your hint? Because this is this is my favorite hint. What is the hint? 
the hint is that the film has been mentioned in this episode already. It may have been one of the pairings. <laughs> it's a wonderful life. No. <laughs> Think about it. A, a shadowy organization carefully controlling someone's life and manipulating someone into doing things for someone's entertainment. Truman Show? <laughs> ding, ding, ding. <laughs> Yes, it is the Truman Show. I so, originally actually thought about doing The Matrix because I was like, I don't know how to end this, so I'm basically going to go with the it was all a dream ending, I'm so which glad I hate. that you didn't. I, yeah, I thought about that, and I'm like, no, I'm going to make it a little bit more fun. And I thought about The Matrix, and I'm like, no, Truman Show is even better. Well, uh, when I read it, I read it as The Matrix of It's All a Dream. It was on the reread that I was like, oh, wait, no, Jacob's Ladder. All right, so. Jacob's Ladder is a good, that, actually, honestly, that would, I mean, it, that works. So in the beginning, middle and end slash with prologue and epilogue that we have just constructed, here's the full story. <clears throat> um, Dobbs, that's his name, right? That's Grandpa Joe. Yes. Yeah. So so Dobbs, once he is uh, dead, but not buried, he, he he's he's not killed. He's just dead. Uh, he finally did reach a point where there was nothing else for him to do in this town because he had killed everyone. He had mastered the whole like killing people and keeping them alive. And so he moved on, you know, he, he found some dead woman to marry and I guess two other dead people, uh, and, and brought them along with him, <laughs> which is why in Willy Wonka, they're in the bed the entire time is because Dobbs, AKA grandpa Joe, He's just in bed with uh, three of the corpses that he made. So, so the, they're stuck in the bed because they're constantly battling against rigor mortis. Yes, <laughs> <laughs> they look dead because they are. Oh god! And that's so wait, good. wait for it because it gets better. When Charlie gets the golden ticket to go to Wonka's factory to find the everlasting gobstopper, Dobbs knows. That this is not a mere piece of candy. This is the elixir of life. And if he can get his hands on the everlasting gobstopper, that is how he is going to finally be the master of immortality. Which, you know, when you when you think about Willy Wonka, um, Charlie did not want to drink the double bubble lifting soda. It was Grandpa Joe. Grandpa Joe is the evil person who had been chilling in bed. It's like, oh, you're going to a chocolate factory? I can get my ass out and do a little dance. Uh, he was the one. Is he working in cahoots with Slugworth? Yes. Okay. Grandpa Joe was trying to kill off Charlie. I don't know why. He just was because he's a terrible human being, I guess. Uh, <laughs> but because Charlie has. Well, he could such- just bring him back. Well, because Charlie has such a good heart, like that's why at the end, Grandpa Joe does do his, you know, passionate plea to uh, Gene Wilder because, you know, he finally had found the good. Or so we think. Mm. He did not actually find the good because, um, you know, he, he just wanted to make sure that Charlie did get the chocolate factory and did get the elixir of life. And then was the puppet master pulling the strings, leading Charlie to 
this is where you take over and describe your movie and how it leads oh. directly into that. So does that mean that Charlie is the one who grows up to become a scientist? Yes, because his okay. brain had been corrupted by Grandpa Joe, a.k.a. Dobbs. Yeah, absolutely. Okay, so... Um, because Dobbs controlled the body and Charlie wanted to control the souls. Okay, Nathan, uh, you know how bad I am at improv, especially at 1230 at night. So uh, yeah, Charlie decides to become a scientist. Uh, <laughs> That's why I was giving you the answers. But he's basically being manipulated by Grandpa Joe the whole time. I don't know, I guess. And then uh, in uh, doing some kind of experiment to try and understand the uh, the the secrets to the everlasting gobstopper, uh, what they end up doing is uh, finding out that uh, whatever the secret ingredient is, is actually uh, something that is so volatile that it tears a hole in the space time continuum and opens up an interdimensional portal <laughs> into uh, some other realm where a bunch of horrifying creatures flood into our world. Um, and that's when, as uh, Charlie is escaping the mist at the end, um, he realizes, Oh my God, what have I done? Grandpa Joe you horrible old bastard, you. How could you have made me do this? I'm going to make this right. But, and obviously I'm bending the actual story of Constantine. Uh, but because, you know, he felt so responsible, he now is going on a demon killing mission and just going around sending the demons that he has unleashed. Again, we're do- doing some very loose uh, yes, <laughs> stories yes. here. Uh, sending the demons that he has unleashed back to hell. Um, yes, and of course, uh, it all turns out that every aspect of Charlie's life is constructed by Ed Harris <laughs> well, see, from the Truman Show. It, it comes full circle because Ed Harris was the uh, the kid, the, the apprentice in Dead and Buried, who was learning what Dobbs was doing. And Ooh, so yeah, yeah. he was then taking it to a much larger scale and he was hiding in plain sight by having the cameras not be what the people in town were holding, but what society was holding and society was constricting you. Yeah. Nathan, man, why, why, why do you even have me on this podcast? <laughs> That's great. Uh, obviously the cameras in dead and buried, uh, play into the fact that in the Truman show, there are constantly cameras everywhere. Um, damn, that's good stuff. Uh, so yeah, the, the kid is actually Ed Harris and he was just, he was just Dobbs producer the whole time. Um, and he has been secretly following him around his entire life. Um, and of course that then ended up, uh, Charlie actually is uh, a part of a spinoff series. Like the series with Dobbs is got Dobbs is just kind of like its own thing. And then created a spinoff with Charlie, I guess. Oh. And uh, <clears throat> and everything that Charlie is doing is is totally fake and uh, generated specifically for our entertainment. So, I love it. None of it is none of it is real. So when we start our episodes with we take movies seriously but not ourselves, uh, spending a solid ninety minutes going on a very in depth psychological um, uh, analysis of Dead and Buried. To then end it with Grandpa Joe leads to Constantine leads to that. This is what we mean by we don't take ourselves seriously. That was great, man. Honestly, those movies, uh, those movies fit together 
much better than I expected. That, that I feel like we got a good, we have a great bookend there. I I am very happy with it ending with Truman Show. Um, I I was worried that it was the Matrix, and I was worried that you were doing the oh, it was all in his head the entire time. So yeah, uh, I wanted the, to to tweak it a little bit. I was like, that's the only direction I know how to go, but I'm going to like root it in some kind of reality. Well, if, if you had known that the one previously was Constantine, you also could have gone John Wick and had the yeah. reason that he is so unkillable is because he obviously is touched by the devil and, you know, like he, he just, good. just can't be killed. Uh, also, I've waited, wait, been waiting to log that one because I uh, binged both John Wick movies the other night. It's like, you know, there are three I, of them, right? I watched the first two. I've not watched the third Dude, one. I binged the first the, two John Wick movies. The John like, Wick I movies want to so log good. them and I can't because I can't tell Eric that I've been watching Keanu Reeves <laughs> movies. And that also leads us to an eventual, I'm not going to say this year, although I'm going to push for this year. We are eventually going to do a Keanu November. Okay. I'm, I, we can, we can do that this year. Absolutely. <laughs> I'm always down to talk about Keanu movies. You know, I haven't actually, I haven't seen Constantine since it came out. I don't remember much about it, but people, it's a solid people, really, yeah. people really love that movie. And I, I, when I watched it when I was younger, I was like, yeah, it's pretty solid. But I'm surprised by how much some people seem to love that movie. I, I have no backstory with the comic, so I have nothing to base it on. So I'm yeah. not watching it as a, oh, how could they do this to the Constantine character? I'm watching it as, ah, oh, hey, look, Keanu's a demon fighter. That's cool. Yeah, it's got Tilda Swinton in there, and uh, isn't it like Peter Stormare the the villain? No, nah, I, I don't. I don't. I can't remember. remember. It sounds like something sounds right. I would I would love now, but uh, I yeah, I'd love to. Yeah, let's, let's do it. We can do Point Break. We can do all of the John Wick movies. <laughs> we're, we're gonna make it. We're just gonna do the entire filmography of Keanu Reeves. Yes, which has some very interesting. We can do my own private Idaho. <laughs> That's a good movie. We could also, uh, if we don't do it as a Kian November, we can do it as a Happy Kian New Year. Oh yeah, that's oh man. I now we're gonna have to decide which one we want to do. Those are both. <laughs> they are both awkward to say. Damn, Kian New Year is perfect. Is oh man, these are these are both good. I have so many dumb ideas. I love it. <clears throat> yeah, right. we're doing this. We're doing one of these. <laughs> for sure we should probably wrap things up uh so if you're just now joining us dead and buried is awesome go watch it go listen to um uh <laughs> post-mortem with mick garris and watch all of the gary sherman movies yeah post-mortem would also be a great alternate title for dead and buried also if you're just now joining us who the hell skips two hours into a <laughs> podcast <laughs> that's what i it's just about to say, like, what are you talking about? If you're just not joining us, this, this isn't a radio show. No, that's part of your podcast roulette. Not only are you randomizing one episode, you're also randomizing the start time. You're you're basically like the uh, the kid in Wet Hot American Summer who's doing the announcing, but nothing is plugged up. <laughs> like, uh, spoiler spoilers for Wet Hot American Summer, I guess. Oh. God, I need to rewatch what Hot American Summer. Yeah, that's always a good idea. Yeah, it's it's not summer yet though. Getting close. Yeah, and as every time that I start it, whether it's uh, um, the original movie or the Netflix series or the Netflix movie, 
every time I start it, that very first guitar riff, I'm just like, that's it. The, the next like four days, I'm binging all of this. Yeah, man. I I still haven't watched the uh, the second series they did, the ten years later one. I need to do that. You need to watch it because. I'm going to go through I, all of them again. I got to do first day of camp again. Cause it's so well, good. The, the original is practically a perfect movie. First day of camp. It's pretty funny bordering on hilarious. It, it's hilarious, but man, the way that they bring everything together in 10 years later, it, it, it it's perfect. It is the perfect way to end it. It's so yeah, good. I got to check it out. It's also ridiculous, but I love it. All right, Eric, where do you want people to find you? Um, I can be found on Twitter at the Chimerican. That is T H E C H I M E R I C A N. I'm also on Instagram occasionally at Chimerican Reviews and on Letterboxd at Eric J A Y. <laughs> You're on Instagram about as much as I'm on the uh, Video Monster Letterboxd, which is not nearly often enough because I've still not gone back <laughs> and updated things. Um, yeah, so you can follow me slash the podcast on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, or Letterboxd at Video Monster Pod, uh, or you can follow me personally on Letterboxd at The Gargoyle. That's G-A-R-G-Y-L-E because it's Gargoyle wearing an Argyle sweater. Um, and I just alluded to the fact that I don't keep the, uh, the podcast Letterboxd updated that much because I use my personal Letterboxd to like actually track everything that I'm watching. And I have lots of intentions when, you know, I actually make the time for it uh, to post on the Video Monster Letterboxd the ones that we've actually talked about on the podcast. So like linking to the actual episodes or if it's like, you know, our our decades episodes, uh, logging all the ones that we've covered there. It just takes time to go back and do that. And Letterboxd, unlike Instagram and, and Twitter, doesn't let you jump back and forth between accounts. So I have to log out and log back in every time. Hmm. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah. what we're saying is go follow Video Monsters on Letterboxd to uh, to kind of spur Nathan on to, to start updating that more often. <laughs> Absolutely. Uh, follow us everywhere and tell me to get back to work. And if you enjoyed this episode, uh, be sure to subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. Just do a search for Video Monsters and uh, like, subscribe, tell us what movies you'd like for us to cover. We have plenty of ideas. Most of them are very, very dumb, but uh, hey, we have fun with it. All right. That's been it for this episode of Video Monsters. I'm Nathan. And I'm Eric. And remember, kids, um, you can you can try to kill me, but and, and maybe you will, but that'll just make me dead. I just butchered that line. You definitely killed that punchline. <laughs> <laughs> I hesitate for a minute. I'm like, does that make sense? I don't know. You can try to stop this podcast, but you can't. You can only turn it off. Ah, that's perfect. Yes. They, which, you know, to be fair, they turned it off like at least an hour ago. (laughs) Probably. Um, So they're not going to hear that, but it's okay. I mean, it's fine. Uh, Man, you know what? I just The diehard video monsters are still with us. As all two of them. Hi, Dan. How are you? (laughs) Send me a message hey Mark, when you get hey Andrew, we hey love Mark, you guys. Yeah. We miss you. Um, Nathan, Eric, you know what we didn't talk about? Dead Buried has a great poster. It does. That poster is so awesome. It's like the death mask in the in the earth. It's like uh, it's so cool.
like the earth is dead. Yeah, it's like all dry and brittle. Like it's yeah, so cool. Uh, great poster. I really want that poster on my wall. It, it reminds me a little bit of some of Dolly's stuff. As, Dolly, as in, like, as in like Dolly Parton. No, oh, Salvador, Salvador Dolly. Gotcha. Dolly, Dolly, not Dolly. Dolly, Dolly, Dolly. Uh, Dolly. This is this is a good. This this episode's just gonna end with us just saying the word Dolly and Dolly. Very, very well, yeah, you know, because Dobbs accents. treats the people as if they are his little dollies. Yes, that's that is a that is fair. I I guess. As in, like a doll. Yeah, he like, does pose them and 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 make them up. Man, that the effects in this movie are so incredible. I just was thinking about that shot of the of him like creating the face of uh, of the dead hitchhiker woman, how he just like pours all that stuff on. And it's so, so convincing. And they pop that little eyeball in. It's so <laughs> very it, satisfying. It reminded me of um, Edison, I think, his, uh, his version of Frankenstein, where they have a... Uh, oh, the dissolves. Like the, yeah, like the little body melting, and then they play it in reverse. Yeah, actually, man, that's 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 definitely a good uh, good analogy. I like the way they do the dissolves on on in Dead and Buried. It's really cool. It's great, great editing. It's just, just an all around, just an all around good flick. I'm falling asleep right now. <laughs> yeah, good stuff. Yeah, you, you know, I'm about great... to be going to bed, and I don't know. I was trying to make a, a Dead and Buried pun, but well, I, all no, I could come it... up with was Bed Rhymes with Dead. If if you were going to sleep in a Stephen King uh, novel, you would be going to um, bed and dairied. Because, <laughs> yes. you know, dairy. Dairy. With it. Dairy, Maine. Yeah. I almost said dairy, Indiana. <laughs> <laughs> oh, God. I got to go to sleep. It's not, it's not funny. It's, I just talked to my microphone. <laughs> it's, it's not even funny. It's just words that sound the same. <laughs>